Hello, I'm Joss Stone. Thanks for joining me for a cup of happy. I spent the last few years singing my songs in every country in the world and been lucky enough to meet incredible people from all walks of life. What really struck me is that no matter where we are, we're all on the same mission. We're all just trying to find our version of happy. So with this podcast, I'm going to be speaking to a whole host of people to dig deeper into the what, why, and how of this emotion we call happiness. I hope that with these conversations, you discover something to help you on your own quest for happiness, possibly change your mind on a few things, and along the way, share a good old laugh with me and my guests. Today's guest is the author of the book, The Psychobiotic Revolution. Psychobiotic refers to the bacteria in our gut that affects our mental health. Not something you thought about? Me neither. But this is massive for our happiness and is largely overlooked. So I'm happy to have Scott on to educate us, as he really is a world authority on this subject. The episode is jam-packed with info that will surprise you. We find out how some of the gut bacteria are controlling our cravings, the evolutionary reasons why we are all attracted to our partners by smell, and how fecal transplants will be the future. I really think you guys are going to learn a lot from this. Here's Scott C. Anderson. Hello, Scott. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you. How are you, Joss? Very, very well. I'm all the better for speaking with you. We've had a little bit of a technical difficulty, so it's nice to finally be able to chat. So I really would like to talk to you about your book because I think it's going to make people happier, which is the main focus here that we have. And the book is called Psychobiotic Revolution. Very cool. My sister's read it like from back to front, front to back and was raving. So when I heard all about it, I thought, oh, I've got to ask him all these millions of questions. But before that, I was told by Rich that you wrote the first educational piece of software published by Apple called Supermap. That's right. Now, that's right. What is that? Goes that goes back a ways. Yes, I thought it might. <laughs> so I thought, let's go back and figure out who is this guy writing <laughs> software? What is it? Well, the the program that we wrote for Apple was called Supermap, and it was actually a way for kids to learn about the United States. And so it had maps and it had quizzes and it had uh, lots of things that we did that were kind of interesting. They None of it was a, a programmatic difficulty for me, but when we took it to show it to the people there, Steve Jobs was there and, and mm-hmm. they were a very young company. And I gave my demo on my knees because they did not have enough chairs to go around. And, and then when they saw the map, they said, what's that? And I said, what's what? And they said, you've got yellow. Oh. I said, yeah, don't you guys know how to make yellow on your computer? They said, no. And it turned out that we had mixed the colors in a way that they had never seen before. So they weren't necessarily excited so much about our great software. They just couldn't believe that, that we had yellow. Oh, how funny. And so we, we showed them a little bit more about how to get these different colors. So that When Steve Wozniak made the computer, he said, I could save 50 cents off of this if I get rid of the color. So he tried to kill the color, but he couldn't quite kill it. And that's what we all ended up using was this little artifact that we found in one little bit that allowed us to get colors that they weren't getting. So wow. that that turned out to be one of those fortuitous events that they were like, okay, that's not what I had in mind, but that worked. Uh, so that was a, lo- a lot of fun. And then I came out here to Ohio because I had a chance to work with some horses and I really love horses. Um, and so these horses were suffering and nobody knew why. These are the top athletes in the world. And yet they were they were having problems sometimes, and we decided that the, that there was something un, 
unseen that was happening. And so we started to look into their guts to see if there was something going on there. And we found out that there were ulcers in there, which wasn't stomach ulcers or something that was known by veterinarians. But we decided that they probably had colonic ulcers too, and nobody thought that was true. And partly that's because you can't look at a horse's colon without evacuating it. And by the time you evacuate it, the mm. horse is practically dead. Right. They need to eat all the time. So the only place that we saw this was at necropsies. Uh, when a horse would die, we would look at it. And okay. that's when we found out that indeed that a large that. number of over 50% of these horses had colonic ulcers as well. Was this the little spark before you wrote the book? Yes, it was before. And it was the spark because we said, what's going on? Why are these horses? They, they actually mm -hmm. look depressed. So you oh, can see a gosh. horse, you know, that's got his, his ears up and his eyes are bright. And then you can see them kind of rolling around on the ground and, yeah. and hangdog expressions. And you don't want to, as a scientist, you try not to anthropomorphize too much. But these were depressed horses. And I started to think there was a con some sort of a connection between the gut bacteria, uh, the, their colonic ulcers, and their mood. And I searched around in the literature and I came across this word psychobiotic. And it turned out to be describing exactly that. Here are bacteria that can affect the mood of animals. So I hear the, the term the gut-brain axis. Yes. What is that? It's, it's kind of strange. And, and we're still trying to figure it all out. So it's, there's not necessarily a, a clear answer for your question, which is sad. But, it's okay. Um, I've noticed in the science world, there's a lot of theories. There are a lot of theories. Now, just because it's a theory doesn't mean it's not true. Some of these studies that have been done now with germ-free animals. So this is, this is the thing. This was the magic that started this whole thing off, was they have germ-free mice. And they are born with by C-section. Everything's very antiseptic. And these mice come out. They have no bacteria whatsoever. That's weird. And the idea was to just see, if you want to know what bacteria are doing, let's start with an animal that has none and see how it's different. Huh. See, I thought that we were like a lot of what we are is bacteria, or is that just a myth? Yes. So it's very difficult to be without bacteria. And you have to live, they have to be in special worlds where there aren't any other bacteria around sure. because they will get killed. The bacteria, without your own bacteria providing protection, right. the uh, outside world bacteria will get you. Wow. And so it's a, it's a tricky thing. So when they, these, animals are raised in a highly hermetically sealed environment all their food is sterilized and everything so they don't they're, they're in a bacteria free world wow. which is very difficult to do with any other animal mice are the, about the only animals that we've done well with okay and they found out that these mice had a different response to stress huh. they were just it was unexpected nobody thought that would be one of the issues and so they, they started looking into this and said, well, what in the world? What do bacteria have to do with your, your mood? You know, basically, you're, you, the, these mice were kind of scurrying around. Some of them were uh, very, uh, had a high response to stress. Uh -huh. But at other times, they like were carefree and they would go into places that other mice wouldn't. So it was a, it's a, it was a confusing message and when it needed to be, you know, narrowed down a little bit. So what ultimately they found was that there are at least three different ways that the brain connects to the gut. So this gut-brain axis is partly through the vagus nerve, which is uh, a nerve that goes from uh, the brain down to all the internal organs, and along the way it goes to the gut. And the gut has a huge, like a tube sock of, of a brain of its own. So if you take the gut out, it can still do peristalsis, it can still move, it's on its own. It doesn't really need any input from the brain in order to work. 
But there is a connection. It's just not clear. And and certainly we don't feel, we can't hear our bacteria talking to our brain and we can't hear our brain talking back. It's a two-way street. So the brain talks to the gut and the gut talks back to the brain. And the language, what they're talking about is what's going on in the gut. What's happening? Do I have pathogens in here? If I have pathogens and I need to get rid of them and I have to alert the brain right away to find a bathroom quickly, this is the communication that we're talking about between the, the gut and the brain. It's pretty low level stuff. It's, they're not discussing uh, Freud. No. Part of the problem with all of this is that it's so quiet that you really don't know what's even going on. So this is a communication that's happening continuously, but it's just in a different world, in a different, very quiet language. Yeah. So the other way is that when you get stressed, you produce cortisol. And cortisol is one of those, that's, it's the stress hormone. Mm-hmm. And it also can affect your gut. And your gut can then talk to your brain about what's going on, which can also cause cortisol. So almost all of these things are circular. Almost all of them have feedback loops in them. Um, And and like a feedback loop in music, sometimes it can get to a fever pitch and all all of a sudden you can't hear anything, right? That's when you're really sick. Um, And you you can create panic attacks in people. Mm-hmm. Uh, simply by doing some of this stuff, by by giving them certain uh, chemicals, cortisol is one of them, and you can give them little teeny bits of bacteria, and it causes your system to freak out in such a way. And the third way of communication, so we've got the the uh, cortisol system, we've got the vagus nerve, and then the third one is using the immune system itself. Okay. So your immune system. We always think of our immune system as helping to protect us against the outside uh, environment. But in fact, it's your bacteria that are the first line of defense. So your bacteria, your, your good bacteria, mm. are helping and fighting off against the pathogens that enter the world. And then your immune system maybe hears about it. And then it starts to do its thing, and it changes the gut bacteria, which in turn can change your brain. All of this stuff is hooked together in such a way that it is mind-boggling um, to think of all the gears that are turning all the time right. and how many systems are involved in all of this. So one of the reasons that this research has taken so long to, to get where it is is that you have to have gastroenterologists talking with neurologists, talking with endocrinologists, talking with immunologists, all these different specialties. And they're not used to talking to somebody else out of their field, right? It's like, why is a gut guy listening to a brain guy about the gut? It's like, what do you know? It's all part of the same body, guys. We've got to come together. Yes. So there's yeah. that holistic thing that's happening there. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool to see. So why doesn't... If all this information is coming into your gut and there's all these like little buddies in there that are fighting off the bad guys, basically, in different yes. ways. Yes. Why is it that when we have, say, I don't know, that bad feeling in your tummy, that gut feeling right. that says, run, you know, or don't be in here or, oh, my God, that guy's not good for you or whatever. <laughs> Why do we ignore it? Is our brain winning and our gut's losing? Yeah, is your brain losing, I think. is Well, in that case, we've sound, seen some really good evidence that bacteria can affect your cravings. Ah, yes. Okay. So you think you like that donut, but it's actually a species of bacteria in your gut that says, I like those donuts. This is what I really want. And if you give me a donut, I'll produce dopamine and make you feel good. Ah. Ah. Evil little bacteria. Bacteria have access to neurotransmitters. These are the chemicals that we use in our brain, Mm -hmm. like serotonin and dopamine and all these things that people use when they're depressed. You get uh, things that are trying to build up your serotonin, build up your dopamine levels and make you feel better. Bacteria can produce these same chemicals. 
what in the world are bacteria doing with these brain chemicals? They don't have brains. And it turns out they're probably using these same signals as our brains do uh, because it's evolutionarily conserved. It goes way back in time when bacteria and, and eukaryotes, the uh, normal animals, had a similar way of talking to each other. So the bacteria are probably talking to each other, but they are also probably talking to us. And that's one of the things we think is going on, yeah. is that when you feed them certain things, they will feed you dopamine, and then you will start to get addicted. This is why you didn't make a choice somewhere along the line to say, I like crawlers, I like uh, scones. Mm. Um, well, I like that person that's really bad for me. That's the one. Because something happens in your stomach, I think, definitely. Yeah, there's something in your stomach. The more I deal with this, the more I find everything <laughs> seems to come from the gut. Isn't it funny? Uh, which is crazy. Yeah. But we can smell people. Oh, yeah. And the smell kind of clues us in to whether they are going to be compatible with us or not. Oh. And that's a really interesting thing, too. We found that you can give, uh, this is some of the stuff is from fruit flies. So we're looking at all kinds of different animals. But they give fruit flies, uh, a group of fruit flies live on honey, and another group lives on starch. And those two, after a while, they don't like each other anymore, even though they're the same kind of fly. They, they smell the other one. They say, you stink. You're not my honey type. Oh, really? And so they end up almost speciating. They almost end up becoming two different species because they just don't want to be with each other. What you're seeing is their, their gut bacteria have changed in order to accommodate this new food. So somehow along the line, we're looking at the potential for these gut bacteria to affect our love lives. Yes. Which is bizarre. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting because there's all these little different tips and tricks um, right. to be happier. And everybody has yes. their little different way of being happy. Sometimes it's music, sometimes it's conversation, sometimes it's got, I don't know, you know, but to, to have all these ideas that you've written about, your little rules to follow, can you tell us about some good rules to follow to help your yes. gut help you be happy and stop that depression just sinking in because it does it to all of us you know it gets us at one point or another yes and you know some situations are just depressing so you, yeah. you have to kind of have your your bs detector has to be turned on because there are people yeah. who are going to try and tell you that you should just cheer up or something like that and it's yeah, like no sometimes sometimes you, sometimes you need to work through it mm -hmm. but if you're if there's no real reason if you can't see if you can't put your finger on why you're depressed then that's when you might want to think about your gut because it's so hard you can't tell really any other way except that you're depressed for no other reason and so what is the the answer to that is to, what we think is that a lot of this has happened recently, in the last 150 years or so, where our diets changed. And what we did was we got rid of fiber. We said, oh, look, if you take the fiber out of the flour, you get this beautiful white flour. It makes these wonderful cakes and white breads and all this white stuff. Yep. And that's... <laughs> I do love a bit of that. But yeah, you're going to break my dreams now. Bust my oh, bubble. Uh, uh -oh. <laughs> Tell um, me I can't have my cakes. No, I'm kidding. Uh, you can certainly have your cake. Just don't eat it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we ruined our flour. Go on. Yeah, we and we and everything. We added sugar to everything. everything. Am I breaking another bubble? Yes, you are. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm okay. sorry about this. It turns out that all of these things you mm. can accommodate to. Right. You can you can adjust to these things. Mm -hmm. And so it's really worth trying. Um it, you probably don't eat as much salt as you used to eat. Oh. Have you cut down on salt a little bit? 
a lot of people have. And they thought they would never live through it, but they did. It's not Um, bad, is it? You can change your diet. You just have to go through a process. Yes. And that process is involved with convincing your microbes that it's okay to do what we're doing. Your Your microbes microbes are like, I want that donut. And you're like, no, we're not having the donut. I want the donut, says the microbe. And so you have to show who's boss. You have to say, look, you're not my favorite microbe. Okay, you're you're screwing yeah. up my life. We've got other microbes, they are interested in fiber. And the fiber is actually turns out to be the preferred food for the good bacteria living in your gut. Okay. And that's what we've taken out of our food. So if you go to Africa, you'll be getting like maybe 50 grams of fiber a day. In mm-hmm. America, people are are lucky to get even 10 grams. Oh, really? And as a consequence, yeah, and and it and it screws up your entire microbiota. The the microbiota is the the group of microbes that live together. And it's a big city down there and and it's very complex. The different bacteria depend on other bacteria to coexist. And it's like a city where where you know the cobbler is dealing with the person who is, you know, needs shoes, who is yeah, dealing with the person who needs together. music. Mm. Yeah. And so all these bacteria have these different roles to play and when you go in and start changing things like you pull out the fiber, it's like going in and, and mowing down the forest in a jungle and saying, well, now what did we do? Well, you really messed it up. And that's what we're doing is we're all living with messed up guts. And oh, so good. the answer is to start eating fiber. Now, if you start doing that, first thing that may happen is you might notice a little gas. So I'm not, gonna, I'm <laughs> not going to sugarcoat that. So there's a little bit of that, but it, we like to say that uh, farts are funny, uh, Depression is not. The key to all of this is things like beans. There's other things, though, that also are full of fiber that are not necessarily obviously full of fiber. Uh, asparagus is, has got a lot of fiber. Artichokes are very, very high in fiber. Nice. Uh, onions and garlic and a lot of just great food has mm. a lot of fiber in it. So basically vegetables. You will not find any fiber, uh, fiber in meat. So it's a, it's a total vegetable thing. Um, that's not to say that meat's not good for you. Meat has other purposes, but it's mm-hmm. not going to provide fiber for your diet. And we're kind of very leaning heavily toward the vegetable side with all of this. So mm-hmm. it, it's more like a vegetarian diet. Probably we're, we're, there's a vegan way to approach this as well, mm-hmm. but vegans have to have a lot of discipline in order to pull it off. Uh, you've got to make sure you're getting your vitamin B12s and, and your iron. And, and it's, it's hard if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. I tried to be vegan once on the road. That was a mistake. I was vegan for about two weeks and oh my goodness, Scott, I was so hungry. <laughs> Because yes. I didn't know what to eat because, you know, you're traveling and not everyone understood that at that time. Now right. it's easier, I think, because they've got more cafes and they make beautiful food. Um, but that's only that's only where we live. You know, what well, about the rest here of the world? in Ohio, it was a, a tough thing, too. But, you know, Chrissy really? Hines set up a, a vegan oh, restaurant here. Yeah. And Good old Chrissy. It, she's on that. She's on that she, hardcore, isn't she? she? Absolutely. Wow. And, and it was a fantastic restaurant. I think that it Brilliant. failed because uh, after a while, it's just there aren't, weren't enough vegans. But we, we're pretty sure if she started that now, that it would be a big hit. So we're, we're inviting her back. Come back, Chrissy. And- okay. So um, the study on the flies, I have to ask you a question about romantic couples. So if the flies went <laughs> off, they went off each other because one of them had a different bacteria to the other. Um, Does that mean that if one couple or one half of a couple is taking medication that impacts their brain or their physical health, like their mental health, like an antidepressant or something like that, could that affect 
their microbiome and consequently their attraction to each other, their vibe with, with the other person. Antidepressants are notorious, actually, for affecting your libido and your weight. Uh, um, and they're, they're, the studies have now shown that, indeed, what's happening is your gut microbes are being radically affected by some of these antidepressants, some more than others. Uh, um, and, but that's why you see a lot of people taking antidepressants and instantly putting on 10, 20, 30 pounds. And so, so it can – and that, you know – by reference can affect your libido as well. But those are indirect effects. There's direct effects on your libido sometimes with some of these drugs. And so yeah. that's one of the things that you should know. One of the reasons that Ted Dynan is involved with this research is he's a psychiatrist and he actually has patients who say, I don't want to take these drugs. These are, these are powerful drugs and they're really affecting all parts of me that I don't want to have affected. Right. And he's actually started to prescribe prebiotics and probiotics to some of his patients and it's working. Okay. I heard about probiotics and, um, you know, cause you hear about them, ah. you know, yogurt um, and right. all that kind of bits and bobs, Yakult. Um, but what yep. is prebiotic? I don't think I've ever heard of a prebiotic until now. Well, a prebiotic is food for the probiotics. Oh. And so the most common prebiotic is actually fiber. Oh, so you can't just have a probiotic and not feed him. Right. You're going to put him down there and he's going to just he's be gonna get languishing. Hungry. Yeah. And he'll be useless. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that hungry, makes sense. Useless and, and upset, probably. So you have to have both in order for this to work out. Absolutely. Okay. And in fact, with you don't even need the probiotics so much. If you get the proper prebiotics, you will develop the proper probiotics, if that makes hmm. any sense. In other words, you, if you feed them, they'll come. Huh. Nice. Okay, so instead of the antidepressants, the doctors were um, were prescribing this, which is obviously much healthier. Can the partner that's dealing with the person that's on those probiotics or, or not, let's say that they're on the um, the drugs, it may be affecting them in a way because of the smell, or can it can it affect the other person that's nothing to do with um, with them? That they're, they're a physical different body. I suspect that it can. And and this is something that we're still working out. I, I like you going back to the flies because it's really easy to see with the flies. Yeah. Humans, we know that humans are doing this, but it's really hard to do the studies and we're not getting, it's, it's, there's a lot of noise involved. So we're, it's like, if you ask somebody to sniff somebody, it's not clear <laughs> that they're getting the right message, right? Yeah. Um, but a good research has been done with giving uh, T-shirts. So you give a, an old sweaty T-shirt to somebody oh, and ask them gross. to identify whose whose T-shirt it is. And women oh, yeah. have been able to do this. I don't I don't think they've done the reverse with men, and I don't know why. Um, but women can identify their guy yep. based upon. And so now I can definitely do that say, with my guy for sure. There you go. I know if it's my brother's or if it's Cody's. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Whenever I, I hear that people are having a problem, I say, how does he smell? Uh, <laughs> and it turns yeah. out they're like, well, I'm not sure I like it all the time. And I think, dump him, get another guy. Yeah, oh. it's not right for you. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't smell work. good to you. It's not, it's not working out. Or he is taking antidepressants and something dodges in his gut that maybe can be changed. Yeah, and people can notice it, and it's not clear. I mean, some obviously you got you got issues where people are actually acting differently because you're taking an antidepressant, so you'll start to act differently, and so so it's there's a lot of things involved, and and it gets really really complicated, uh, especially with humans. I think it's I think 
flies maybe have a little simpler life. So humans, when we get to it, it's like one of the things they think that's going on is that there's something called a major histocompatibility complex. I really am sorry I said that. What is that? <laughs> we'll call it MHC. Okay. And it's, a, it's kind of showing off to the rest of the world and to your body what diseases you've already had. And so the idea is that if you can smell somebody's MHCs... Their history, basically. Yeah, you can smell their history. And so you can know that you want to be complementary to their history. Your genes should complement their genes in such a way that you're covering more diseases, you're taking care of more diseases. So they think this is part of what's happening with the pheromones and what you smell is you might be smelling some of this MHC part. You might be smelling somebody's history of disease. Weird. Which is really weird. It's fascinating when you start to look at it that, that this could be at the root of so many of our relationship issues is that we just, we're, we're just not quite compatible on that molecular level. Yeah. That is interesting. There was a study that you spoke about that was conducted on prisoners. Yes. And they were administered probiotics and their behavior improved. What do you think happened there? I mean, well, I, I really don't think that that's difficult. How real to figure was it? Out. Yeah, I think, well, I, first of all, we're not supposed to be experimenting on prisoners. And I don't oh. know exactly why. <laughs> Um, well, then why is there a study on prisoners? Because it was done somewhere else. Um, Naughty. Not, it wasn't yeah, your study. No, it was not my study. <laughs> Although I see no real reason why. If you're, but why not? If, I mean, if, if they sign some, up for it. Yeah, if they sign up for it, I don't see the. I don't see what the problem is. The, the The real issue with all of this, and the reason that prisoners and also people who live in in mental hospitals, the reason that you see these kinds of studies is that you got total control over their diet. It's really yep. hard to do it any other way. So you do these studies with college students. It's like, all right, we want you to eat just this and this. And it's like, that's a college student. Yeah, how Are can you, you trust them? them? No, because yeah. they might just want to go to a party and... Uh, yes, and, and, and do God only knows what. Do and, God only knows, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, that's exciting, but not necessarily a good study. So that's right. why we why we like these people who are incarcerated, is that you can actually have total control over their diet. And, and to the extent that we feed uh, prisoners crap, it's mm. not surprising to me to see that there's bad behavior in the jails. And I think that you could, I think mm. part of the reason they're in the jail in the first place is that they had a bad diet. I think that's a part of it. Not all of it. I mean, there's a genetic component to violence, but there's also, I think, a big part of their bad guts, that they're acting out of this anxiety in their life that's actually yeah. caused by a bad bacteria. And so if you could offer this up to a prisoner, why wouldn't they want to try it? Yeah. I mean, do I just want to be a bad guy forever or would it be nice to get back into society and get back with my family and yeah, stuff? Yeah. So I think this should be an option and I, I'm, I'm shocked that we're not doing it. But a lot of people are not on board yet with the microbiota. A lot of people mm. are, uh, doctors today are still being taught without very much education about microbes except for how to kill it. Mm. I do wonder why when you go to the doctors, just a general, you know, your general practitioner, why don't they talk to you about your diet? Why do they talk to you about all the other things and the pills and the snap? Why don't they say, what are you eating? Let me send you to a nutritionist. Let's start there. Well, the cynic in me says that, that you can sell them drugs and make a lot of money, but not going to make a lot of money from food. But I don't think that's all of it. I think most no. of it is that, that they really just don't know. They just don't know. Yeah. Which is strange because you go to the doctor and you trust them with your life. So yes. you, want, you want them to know. Or at least look it up. 
<laughs> yeah, Google it, please. Um, when I talk to doctors about it, they mm. are they're very excited to hear about course, it. Yeah. But they were the first to admit that they don't know anything about it. And so right. I'm sending I'm sending doctors continuously sending them uh, papers that are out there, and they're learning, they're coming around, and they're starting to see. Oh my goodness, this is a really great tool that we've got. You know yeah. that we could actually start giving people probiotics, and that their moods would improve, and uh, lots of things, their skin could clear up, lots of things could happen. Mm. Um, um, that would make them happier and healthier mm. people. Mm. Um, and the same thing with as we get older, our bacteria changes as you get older. And it's, you know, it's like, it's not just getting weaned where you all of a sudden stop drinking milk and then you go on to hard food. It's throughout life, there's a big change. And it's kind of a continuation of that, that weaning where you get less and less of a certain kind of bacteria that is really good for you. And you start to suffer. And so you look in the guts of people, centenarians, the people who live really old and are healthy, mm. they've got a really different gut microbe than other people do. The, the people that are sick have a very, really? yeah. And, and the main thing is that it's more diverse. They've got more types of bacteria than, every, than other people do. So how do you get a diverse bacteria is by eating a diverse diet. And so if you're, if you're like a lot of people, it's like, I'm going to eat meat and potatoes for the rest of my life. It's like, that's a terrible diet. What if you were just having like vegetables, that's it? No dairy, no sugar, no, apart from obviously the vegetable sugar, but. Yeah, there's things called phytochemicals and phyto just means plant. These are things that turn plants colors. Mm. Um, so if you've got a red potato, if you have a purple potato, they're purple on the inside. I love those. I don't know if you've, yeah, you've got to. You gotta try a purple they potato. They're, yep. they're delicious. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, purple purple onions. But all those things, the more colorful they are, the more of these phytochemicals they have. So that's what you should choose. You should be choosing things that are dark green or red when you go in. And you should get lots of different colors because each of those colors represents a specific phytochemical. Mm. And these phytochemicals are almost as good as fiber in terms of feeding and diversifying your bacteria. Interesting. And it looks beautiful on your plate. And it's gorgeous. Which is very important. Oh, food yes. is amazing, isn't it? Now, what about a little glass of wine? Do you guys ever dabble in that area? I feel like that's got to be good for your spirit sometimes. Well, spirits are good for your spirits. Um, I'm not going to burst another bubble, all right? I, I'll try not to. Well, the problem with alcohol is that, you know, the next day, all the fun that you had the previous night comes back negatively, right? Yes. So, so if you have a little bit, that seems to be okay. But a little bit is shockingly small amount and not nearly enough, um, especially during the times of COVID. So for a woman, moderate drinking is one glass a night with the caveat that you really shouldn't be doing it every single night. You know, I'll tell you a funny story. It's not very funny, actually. It's kind of gross. There was once a time <laughs> when I offered my poo to a friend of mine. He was mortified. He was like, what are you offering me? And it's because I read an article, a very short, tiny little article in the newspaper that was um, on the fecal transplant. Now, I know you know a lot about this and you can explain it to us because my poor friend was absolutely shocked that I would even suggest such a thing. <laughs> but he had IBS and he'd had it for like two years. Yeah. And yeah, I guess we need to discuss this. Go on, Doc. I am shocked that you're the one who brought that up and not me. So the fecal transplants are actually 
not just are they gross, but they are stunningly successful. And they have shown us something that, that we don't get very often. Uh, scientists are always saying correlation is not causation. And what that means is you may see that, that something changes along with something else, that, so that clearly they're connected somehow, but you don't know if A causes B or if B causes A. You mm-hmm. just know that they're tied together somehow. But fecal transplants finally gave us a chance to prove that these microbes are causing the behavior. And they did it in an interesting way. They took human fecal matter from depressed people and from non-depressed people, and they gave it to mice. And the mice, these are germ-free mice again, those mice that got depressed human poop became depressed, and the others did not. And so that was perfect. That, that shows causality. It shows not just that they are associated, but that one causes the other, that bacteria genuinely cause depression. And it not only shows that causality, but it shows it cross-species, that human depressed human bacteria mm-hmm. can cause depression in a mouse is astonishing. So mm-hmm. there is something going on there and and the fecal transplants are magical. If you have C. diff, and this is where we find the fecal transplants in this country mostly, mm-hmm. C. diff is an infection that you get when you go to the hospital, they give you tons of antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And the last, the last bacteria that's left standing is C. difficile, which is a type of bacteria that can put itself into a little cyst and protect itself against the antibiotics. So you've killed all of the good bacteria and you've got this one little bacteria left and it just grows to fill its space and it's deadly when there's no other bacteria around. Oh gosh, it sounds like a tumor. You know? It's it's really not a good thing. You, it's no. so miserable. And 60,000 people, I think, 60,000 people a year die caused by a hospital, basically, oh, caused gosh. by antibiotics. They'll die from C. diff. And so oh. when you ask them if they want to have a poop transplant, they say, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I don't care how gross it sounds. And they're, they are fixed within a day, <gasps> sometimes even within hours. And it's really? 95% cure rate. So there's hardly any medicine that we know of that works as good as just good old poop. Wow. And the, interesting. The, it, yeah, it is interesting. It's totally fascinating. How do you separate out the bit that you want from all the other grossness? Well, the, they run it through a sieve and right. they throw it in your blender not no, my blender, they right? Don't. Not my blender. Yes, they do. do and they they they, they oh, sieve God. it out. But the other thing, now here's the interesting thing, okay, because this is really cool. You have to have a healthy donor. Yes. Definitely. Be, you don't want somebody who's sick because you'll get You don't whatever want someone that's got. upset. I didn't realize. I didn't realize that um you don't want somebody that's in a bad mood. And, right. You, know, you may that's not want really somebody. Yeah. You, yes. So if you get depressed, that's one of the things that now they're thinking they should be you asking want happy these people. People's poop. Yes. You want happy poop. And those happy poopers, their their poop should be worth gold. Wow. I mean, it's just... That is so <laughs> these are people who should probably, Yeah. And so so now this has become something we, we really don't know nearly enough about mm. how about the success of fecal transplants for improving mood. This is this is a brand new field. Um, but but people are starting mm. to see it and right now it's anecdotal. It's like I was depressed, I got a, fo- a poop transplant, and now I'm happy. And and it's I like what fine. the God, that's so mad, isn't it? Um, I need to talk to you about genetically engineering bacteria. What's going on with that? I mean, is that... (laughs) Well, I know it's possible. I've heard about it being possible. What's going to happen in the future with that? Well, we've... Well, it's kind of interesting. Bacteria are, are uh, promiscuous, let's say. Um, Yeah, they they hang around with each other and they, they trade genes. 
So they'll do this naturally anyway. If they're in a situation, if you've got some sort of bacteria that says, oh, I don't need to digest this particular sugar because my buddy over here is doing it, I'll give you that gene. I'll I'll get rid of it. I don't need it. Then I can save myself some energy and you're making the food that I need and everything's great. So bacteria change genes a lot. In in Mm -hmm. fact, it's ridiculous. If you look at these bacteria, sometimes it's hard to tell what they are Mm -hmm. because they have traded genes with so many other bacteria that they're kind of a blur. It was back in the 1970s that we first started doing genetic engineering of bacteria. And one of the first things that they did was uh, created bacteria that could create insulin because insulin was previously coming from from cows and and it was not it was hard to purify it sometimes. Okay. So this has been going on for a while, but what you want now is you want to create bacteria that have the germs that make you happy and yes. that have the genes that make you happy. And so we're we're working on that and the probably the one the gene that's going to be the big winner in this is a gene that creates butyrate and butyrate the the name sounds familiar. It's like butter, and mm-hmm. it smells a little bit like butter, only not quite so good. But it turns out to be one of the best foods for the cells lining your gut, and that's how you can fix a leaky gut. So you get this butyrate, and if and if we can create enough bacteria that that can live off of anything that you want to throw it and create butyrate, then that would be a bacterium that could actually make people feel much better. Oh wow! I hope that happens soon. It will. If you had all the money in the world to do studies, and I mean, I suppose there's so many studies that, that you'd like to do, but which would be the next one that you would do? I don't know. There's, there are so many exciting areas. One of them that's interesting is phages. And phages, the, the word just means eater, and they are viruses. Mm-hmm. So, so mostly when you talk about the gut, you're talking about bacteria, but it's really microbes of all kinds. Microbe is a bigger term that includes bacteria and fungus and viruses and other little creatures uh, that are mm-hmm. squirreling around in your gut. And so the phages are things that actually eat bacteria. They don't eat them per se. What they do is they, get, they infect them. So it's like a bacteria gets a cold. The virus burrows in and then it takes over the machinery of the bacteria to create more viruses. And then they explode out of this poor bacteria and go on to reinfect other bacteria. The interesting thing about phages is that they only attack specific bacteria. So if I'm a phage, I'm I'm going to go after one specific microbe and that's it. So that's Mm -hmm. the cool thing about them Mm -hmm. is that you can selectively kill just the bacteria that you want and no others. Oh, that is good. Once they're done, once mm. their host is gone, they disappear too. So they And they stay around as long as the host is there. So you don't have to take repeated applications of antibiotics or anything. You just take the phage once, it clears the situation up. And yeah, they need a lot of work. So mm. there's the money, right? Mm. Give me the money, we'll make phages work, and then we can yeah. really start to target things perfectly. Oh, I hope that it happens. I hope that you get to do it. I'm sure you will. We're working on it. Yeah, we're getting there with all of it. Oh, good. Oh, good. So I wish that I could talk to you longer, actually. You must come back because I've got a thousand million more questions for you. Okay. But um, but the last question, which is important, is how do we figure out if we've got a good gut or a bad gut? How do we know if it's going good or bad? It's an excellent question because this this the the conversation is so quiet, you know, between the gut and the brain. We can't really tell what's going on, so we don't know if people are upset. Especially down there if you've or not. got all that dopamine going on because you're eating a, bu- a right. bunch of chocolate. 
or a right. bunch of donuts. You're like, woo, my life is yeah. great. And actually, nope, 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 nope. It's not going you're, well in there. You're so partying you know? tonight, but tomorrow you're suffering. <laughs> yeah. um, well, there are a lot of things. That, there are certain clues. I mean, for instance, if you are depressed with no other reason, or if you have inflammation, if you've got, if your joints are creaky, all of these mm-hmm. things. Uh, if you're, if you've got heart problems, all of these seem, the things seem to come back to a leaky gut. So that's one thing. But there's something interesting happening in Israel at the Weissman Institute. They're doing these studies that are pretty straightforward and interesting in terms of measuring your blood sugars after you eat food. So now if you you eat a donut, your blood sugar shoots up. If you eat sushi, presumably it doesn't because sushi is not you know, it's not a big carb blast, it's, it's fish. But that's not always true. It turns out that some people will have their blood sugar shoot up with sh- sushi, but they can eat ice cream with no change in sugar levels. So there's something going on, and what they realized was it's the bacteria in your gut. So using the blood sugars, being able to monitor it like diabetics monitor their blood, that actually can show you what's going on in your gut. It can show you, give you a snapshot of what kind of bacteria you have. And these people are using that to then make suggestions to you based upon how your sugar levels respond to your food. Oh, so it's all individual. Yeah, this is new, but it's very exciting, and I expect to be doing some some work with that soon. Because um, you've got to be able to see it. It's so hard to fix things that you can't yeah. see. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming to chat with me. It's been great. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Joss. So the book is called, what's it called? Psychobiotic Revolution. Yes. Thank you so much, Scott. You're amazing. Cheers. Thank you, Joss. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.